The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. The 45th President of the United States will go on trial next March, charged with conspiring to overturn the results of the vote that saw him ejected from the White House. Not the plot of some new Netflix political fantasy thriller, but the real prospect for the US in the craziest election year it has ever seen. And that's just one of the many trials that could see Donald Trump in the dock as he campaigns to regain the presidency. We will see either a vindicated man walk free in triumph and boosted in support or a man vying for his second term, perhaps inside a prison cell. How did it come to this in the world's richest and most powerful democracy? And is the indispensable superpower strong enough to get through it? That's this week on The Y Curve, brought to you by Wigmore Associates. The Y Curve. So it is uh, It is a difficult decision, isn't it? I mean, it, that America has to make. Do they go for yeah. a man in prison or a man in a nursing home or possibly in a morgue? I mean, this is... Uh, <laughs> this is getting a little brutal, but yes, no, you're right. I mean, he's, I mean, like he's 80, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Been, and he is pretty frail. So is America going to be happy with Kamala Harris as president? Because that yeah. obviously would be the default if they do, do, do go down that road. And, and the reason that we care all about this, I mean, this another country's politics, another country's uh, electoral system and, and issues is because where America goes uh, to a large extent whether it's economically and in, in culturally and politically there it seems go most of the rest of us certainly here in britain right so we too could become a big banana republic uh, sometimes well, some, some would say with all the all the prime ministers we've had recently you know maybe we're halfway there already yeah but we and but we're not you know prime ministers facing jail or prime ministers who have well uh, some say that should know. be the case but maybe we won't go there but <laughs> uh, you know it's a really interesting situation and i have to say and i'm no major student of, of u.s uh, politics but it does seem a very very difficult crisis and one it's very hard to see a, a peaceful way out of well it's strange isn't it in that he's had four indictments and every time he has one handed down he seems to that seems to add to his popularity because of course for a lot of people it's all just one big conspiracy he is fighting against the deep state that's trying to bring him down he is the man of the people and that is his stick and that's why people won't accept if he is defeated again but they didn't accept it the first time yeah exactly and and you know you could see that happening i mean and obviously he is going to be the man running because he's got uh, 50% on the the national republican primary polls DeSantis is coming second with 15% I mean, that's a that, that, that's a broad gap. There's yeah. no one else there. Yeah, it's uncertain times for all of us in the light of all that. And uh, perhaps uh, a moment where financial stability might be something one might be looking for. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Well, he's got $2.5 billion, uh, allegedly. Now, he's given a chunk of that from his dad and from his deal on The Apprentice, plus, of course, all the deals, in inverted commas, that he's done since before and during his presidency. So maybe he should have a bit more. Perhaps he might have done better if he'd taken that money and given it to the folks at Wig more of his associates because uh, they know how to make your money grow by choosing the right investments, uh, working on whatever plans you might have, whether you want to be the most powerful person on the planet, or maybe you'll just settle for, you know, a nice regular pension, slightly bigger house, uh, whatever your aspirations, just like Donald, uh, you probably want to pay as little as possible to the tax office, although preferably without involving fraud. Uh, and Wigmore Associates can help you, you know, the legal side of things, Wigmore Associates can help you do things uh, legally. Uh, and successfully. And uh, I'm sure they'd be very happy to look after Donald Trump's money, but they'd be looking happy to look after your wealth as well. Uh, so get in touch with them. Give them a call on 020-7224-3400 or visit wigmore-associates.co.uk and they'll look after you. I think if Donald Trump called them up, 
uh, they'd probably say no. Yes, one would hope so, certainly. Well, let's actually talk about uh, US politics. Let's speak to someone who really knows what they're talking about on that, and that is... Thomas Gift. He's the Associate Professor in Political Science at the University College London and founding director of the Centre on US Politics. We've got him on the line. Yeah, so what is going to happen with US politics? We're in a state where potential scenarios uh, in the next 18 months are a president potentially governing from prison or Donald Trump perhaps vindicated uh, from... uh, and acquitted in the courts, um, then going up against Joe Biden, losing potentially, and then will his followers even accept the result? Thomas, I mean, what do you see happening? Well, I think that things are certainly going to get worse before they get better. And I think uh, what you just teed up is a very likely scenario and probably the most likely scenario. I mean, just looking back at what happened in 2020, you have uh, almost half of the population that thinks that there was a unlegitimate uh, election. And so regardless, I think, of what happens in 2024, you're going to have a huge section of the country feel very disenchanted and disillusioned uh, with the outcome. You know, if uh, it looks like uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden face off, then either Joe Biden wins and Republicans probably again feel like the election has been stolen from him because uh, Donald Trump will will say that Um, or, uh, you know, Donald Trump wins and Democrats just kind of uh, lose it because they can't imagine uh, another four years with that that president. So either way, I think we're careening toward a a really perilous situation. And is is Donald Trump definitely going to be the Republican candidate? I mean, I know he's well ahead in the polls. So does that mean he's a shoe in for it or could something happen between? I mean, we've still got a year and a half, I guess, to go. Yeah, we've still got some time to go. But with a 40 percentage point lead, I think it's hard to say that Donald Trump is anything but the most prohibitive favorite to win. It would it's really his to lose. And it would take something extraordinary, maybe in the legal system to kind of knock him off that uh, position. But, you know, right now, the smart money is certainly on a Joe Biden versus Donald Trump rematch. And does he stand a better chance of winning because he's going against Joe Biden? So the latest polls I'm seeing have Biden with an approval rating of 41 percent, a disapproval rating of 54. So a net disapproval rating of 13 percent. And while we're looking at numbers like that, I mean, Donald Trump at the end of his presidency had a net disapproval rating of 19 percent. So it looks like we've got uh, two, even though, you know, for all of Trump's bravado, it looks like we've got two unpopular politicians going against each other. And, and, how and did two America quite elderly politicians as well, as well, which we should yeah. break on. How did America get itself into that situation? Well, that's sort of the irony, which is no one wants to see a rematch of 2020. And yet we're um, pushing more and more toward that exact scenario. And I think the reason why we're getting it is just a function of America's political system and how it works. So Joe Biden is an incumbent president, and more or less there's deference to incumbent presidents within parties. It would take something you know quite unprecedented to, to knock him off that position. So he's basically a lock. And then on the Republican side, um, despite the fact that he has such high disapprovals among Democrats, he still has very high uh, approval among a certain percentage of Republican voters um, and against the backdrop of the U.S. primary system, uh, particularly a number of different states where they're winner take all primaries. All Donald Trump has to do is secure 30 to 40 percent of the Republican base, and he can pretty much run the table, especially if there are a large number of uh, candidates who kind of split the the the, the all non-Trump vote. Um, they kind of cannibalize that. So it's really a path that's set up for Donald Trump. So, so Thomas, I wanted to get inside a, a couple of questions that the people certainly ask me, not that I know much about US politics, but when we talk about it, that's what people say. First of all, is the Republican 
Party. It's a very venerable institution in the U.S. It, it's had some very liberating presidents in the past. The um, grand old party. Yeah. The grand old party. And yet it seems that they are making what to most people I would say outside the U.S. looks like an incredibly radical, dangerous choice uh, in ways that, that I think many people... F- can't really understand what has gone on inside the Republican Party. And is it just the Republican extremists, if there are, I mean, ex-Tea Party people, or is it really the core of the Republican Party that actually goes for Donald Trump? Well, the Republican Party now is the party of Donald Trump. I mean, it has been thoroughly Trumpified. I think there is no other way to uh, describe it. Of course, there's certainly still uh, some moderates, some establishment types, some libertarians, um, some who identify more with the, the Christian right and the evangelicals. But really, this is a party that has been dominated by a cult of personality. And I think to some extent, Donald Trump is a symptom as much of a cause of, uh, of that of that result. You know, there are lots of underlying trends that we could look at um, that sort of led to the rise of Donald Trump. But Trump was uniquely, I think, uh, positioned and able to tap into a lot of that dissatisfaction and disillusionment. You know, I, and I think a big part of it um, is, you know, the changing demographics of of America, um, feelings of globalization, leaving large sections of the American populace uh, behind, you know, deindustrialization in terms of the economy. All of this has led to a really large section of voters that just think that politics isn't working for them. Many of them have gravitated toward the Republican Party. And in 2016, you know, Donald Trump, unlike any other candidate, really saw an opportunity to exploit that. He did exploit it. And even though that many thought that, you know, he wouldn't be successful, um, he was able to get through the Republican primaries. And since then, he has just galvanized um, and reinforced uh, this message to voters that, you know, the system is rigged. It's it's working against you. And I'm the only one who can save you. Right. Yeah. So he's learned how to push the buttons, which I suspect if you, you know, if you that way inclined is not that difficult thing to do because you do talk about, you know, foreigners taking our jobs. And I'm sure Donald Trump doesn't have any uh, migrant workers working in any of his hotels. So, I mean, he's talking from a position of influence there, I'm sure. Uh, and yet, you know, in, in most places, the media might be onto this. But then, of course, he's covered off that, hasn't he, by saying, you know, the media can't be trusted either. So if they say anything against me, don't believe them. In other words, only believe me, which is why, as you say, half the population believe that the uh, that he won the last election. Well, and it was not, not half the population, I think, if I'm if I'm right, Thomas, isn't it half the Republican Party or is it literally half, half the, the population? Well, I mean, uh, it's probably it depends on what polling uh, you're looking at. And I think it also depends uh, exactly on how the question is phrased. You know, if you think if you ask people, uh, was the actual vote um, not legitimate, then it's probably about 50 percent of the Republican Party. But if you think uh, broader, you know, in terms of the role of big tech, uh, foreign influence, um, other sorts of, uh, of problems that have sort of you know, meddled in the electoral system, according to Republicans, then it's a higher, higher percentage. Right. But the approach is, is talkback radio, isn't it? Get people angry so they're on your side. And you don't need to find a result to it. You just need to tell people things are wrong and you will do something about it and people will rally behind you. Yeah. And I think with Donald Trump, what he has really been able to do, unlike 
other politicians is say the unsayable, um, you know, and do the un do the unthinkable. I mean, so much of what Donald Trump does to activate his base, it's not speaking in dog whistles or coded language. It's being absolutely um, upfront with people. You know, the kind of racist and inflammatory language um, that that he has used. Um, you know, talking about the uh, the uh, media as being the enemy of the people. Um, you know. Uh, kind of taking a wrecking ball uh, toward this idea that electoral institutions can be trusted. I mean, everything is out in the open. Um, and so, you know, in the past, you might have seen Republicans dance around this issue. Donald Trump just said, you know, forget that. Uh, you know, I'm attacking these things. Um, and if you and if you think solve. these things, well, congratulations. You can now talk like that because uh, because I've opened it up for everybody. Absolutely. And that's that's a big problem, uh, certainly, because I think it gives a license to a lot of his uh, voters to to speak this way and to kind of uh, do these things right out in the open. No, but he's he he's he's opening something which is obviously there, though, which is, you know, which is, put, puts a big question mark about some of the values which are being held in America, doesn't it? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, with, with Donald Trump, I mean, there's there's this sense that a lot of this uh, dissatisfaction was was latent, um, but it needed activating um, by a Republican commander in, in chief. Um, and so whereas previous Republicans were sort of unwilling to, to say what Donald Trump um, has said, go as far as he has, you know, uh, Trump, by contrast, you know, there, there's a Essentially, no limits. So, how much further does he go then? Give him another term. Just how bad does it get? Well, I think that that's the the real danger uh, with Donald Trump. You know, if there's anything that is scarier than a, a first term uh, of Donald Trump, it's a second term where he doesn't actually have to face. Um, re-election. Thank God he can't go three terms. Thank God for that. At least we've got that. Yeah, it's an extraordinary. It's an extraordinary thing. But Thomas, the other thing is, okay, in a way you can say, well, the politics, yes, maybe he is saying the unsayable, maybe he is uh, giving uh, sound to a lot of things a lot of Americans are thinking. But what about his background and his his record? I mean, this is a man who's been indicted multiply, we know that. But even if you don't necessarily think that that is uh, legitimate, some of the things that have been revealed, the way he deals with women, the, uh, the, the fact that he's consorting with porn stars, the fact that he maybe hasn't done his his uh, accounts as he should, he may be dishonest, all these kind of things that have come up. Surely the character of the man and the potential chaos would turn off even those who are actually sympathetic to his views. Well, I think initially it did turn off uh, a number of Republicans, but I think they've gotten over that. <laughs> you, know, you know, there's this sense that you can kind of compartmentalize morality insofar as, you know, lots of Republicans will probably admit yeah, well, I don't necessarily like all the tweets and I don't like um, the womanizing and I don't like, um, you know, all these things that Donald Trump has done in the past. But he's speaking for us on on other important issues. And he, unlike anyone else, is kind of willing to stand up and, and defend, defend our values. Um, so I think there's this Faustian bargain um, going on where a lot of Republicans are willing to overlook some of the personal malfeasance uh, because they think that he's achieving what they want in the political sphere. So do do the Democrats stand a better chance if they didn't have Biden running against him? If they had, I don't know if there's anyone in the wings, but could someone have a quiet word with Joe Biden and say, look, you know, you're getting on a bit. Uh, we don't want you to, you know, just as we don't want a president in, an, in, in prison, we don't want a president coming to us from a nursing home. Maybe you should step aside and have somebody who can take on Trump uh, in a more, I guess, aggressive way, if that's what's what's required, someone who is as outspoken outspoken as Trump, and to to get people think about, you know, what their potential president is, is saying. 
Well, I think that there's certainly a lot of consternation within the Democratic Party and concern about uh, Joe Biden going up for re-election. Certainly, progressives would rather a different candidate, um, someone who is younger, who more speaks their values, who who isn't as centrist and moderate um, in some sense. Um, but I'm not sure if if an alternative Democrat would have any more success against uh, Donald Trump. You know, first of all, uh, just looking at the potential bench of alternative Democratic nominees. There's a reason why Joe Biden got through the 2020 um, primaries, because most voters thought that he was the best option. And even, you know, the uh, heir apparent or presumptive heir apparent Kamala Harris has impressed, I think, Americans even less um, than than Joe Biden. Her numbers are underwater even more so than than his. And so, you know, you could talk about some generic Democratic candidate, some someone on a white horse is going to come and say the Democratic. Well, what about Gretchen Whitmer, the uh, the governor of Michigan? She she looks good, doesn't she? I mean, people have certainly mentioned her. Yeah, she, she could. And there are, there are a few other uh, names out there. Most of them aren't aren't household names, though, even yet. And so they may be gearing up for for 2028. Um, but right now, there's just really no opening. Um, in, in the Democratic Party. We, we do see, of course, RFK uh, Jr. making a run. And he's gotten a little bit of traction, um, but... Well, he's pretty extreme, he's isn't he? Kind of, well, most of his views, especially on the vaccine skepticism, uh, et cetera, are kind of perceived as too outside the mainstream, particularly for the Democratic Party. And in a lot of ways, he's actually cozied up uh, to Trump and really not taken him on um, uh, head on. Um, you know, I think the big danger for Democrats is the possibility of a third party coming in um, and eating up some of the Democratic vote. That's sort of the worst case scenario for Democrats. Yeah. Well, let, let's let's walk through the process because we're talking about something that's going to be happening over the next 18 months. So right, right now, we haven't even got to the primary season yet. Um, but where, where do you see us when that comes to, say, spring of, of next year, uh, the Super Tuesday, of course, potentially the day before Donald Trump goes on? trial. What kind of situation do you think U.S. will be in at that moment politically? Well, I think politically, uh, the two parties will have solidified their two candidates. It's, again, hard for me to imagine uh, any uh, scenario in which Joe Biden hasn't sort of already locked it up and where Donald Trump hasn't already locked it up. Um, you know, for Donald Trump, He's looking like he's got going to to win um, Iowa. It's looking like he's going to win New Hampshire. And if that's the case, if no other candidate emerges, I think in those two two states, then he's really going to run the table. And Super Tuesday is just going to be uh, an imprimatur on 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 his candidacy. And so we really will be in the scenario quite early on where both parties uh, know who their candidates are going to be. He's going to steamroll his way through, isn't he, basically? And we're using lies, presumably, because that's been his modus operandi so far and seems to get away with it. You know, if you lie and then people start to question that lie, you just lie again. So they forget about the first lie. We've all lost track as to how many lies he's taken. So he may as well just keep doing it. Yeah. And I think the Washington Post at some point uh, started keeping track of all Donald Trump's lies and Pinocchio's, uh, you know, the white lies, the big lies. um, And it got something totally absurd, like 30,000 lies. It's almost hard to imagine. And you're right. He just sort of compounds them. And that's part of his strategy, right, Um, to make 
people, you know, not believe anything, um, the fake news narrative, uh, et cetera. It's, it's one of the reasons why he appeals so much to the Republican Party. Well, so many people, I mean, you talked about how, uh, and don't worry, we'll, we'll get back to the process that we, you know, from that first Tuesday, just a second, but so many people, uh, just as they believe that the election was stolen from them and it wasn't a, f- a fair win for Biden, there are those people also who believe that uh, Joe Biden and his son should be in jail. Hillary Clinton should be in jail. Lots of calls for locking up politicians over there, it seems. Uh, but I mean, that that view that about Biden, I had that, it been in the US recently, uh, I had that time and time again, for whatever well, reason. The Hunter Biden uh, story is the one that keeps on giving for the Republican Party, I think, to a large extent. I think that there are few Americans who think that Hunter Biden didn't do anything wrong. And I think the the there are a lot of Americans who think that there is some corruption and malfeasance there. Of course, Republicans, despite their best attempts, haven't been able to draw a direct connection between that and uh, Joe Biden. But, you know, the Republican strategy, essentially in the face of every single uh, indictment or um, other ac- uh, accusation of wrongdoing by Donald Trump is just to say, what what about what about um what about Hunter Biden? And so that's sort of the, the narrative that we hear on Fox News. Which is the same, which is the same as, you know, what about Hillary Clinton? And yeah, our email it's server. a whataboutery, which, which is a political thing that, that happens all the time, isn't it? But this is this is to do with putting people in jail, which time takes US politics into a slightly odd territory, really, because historically that hasn't been the way politicians have dealt with each other. Yeah, and I think to a large extent, that's the irony, which is Donald Trump was sort of the original politician uh, using this locker up. Uh, language and now he is the one that's facing these four <laughs> criminal indictments and could very well a- end up in jail. So um, you know, it, it's amped up language and now it's become normalized. What happens if he is in jail? I mean, can you be president from jail? I mean, is that just unthinkable? Constitutionally, and, uh, it, it, it's not, there's nothing against it, is there? Yeah, as far as I'm aware, there's nothing against it and there's nothing uh, against um, someone running for president or being president who's been uh, criminally convicted. Uh, I do expect that the likelihood of that actually happening is quite uh, remote. But, you know, we could, well, well, we could... Well, Thomas, walk us through that because because it seems like, like, like the cards are moving in that direction. So what do you... You don't think he will be in jail, say, by the summer of next year? I don't. I don't think for a couple of reasons. One is Donald Trump's going to be um, effective, I think, at delaying uh, lots of these uh, criminal proceedings. And, you know, I think from his standpoint, uh, this the strategy is push it back beyond the 2024 election. Then he's president and he's at a position to run the Justice Department. And so he could either starve these investigations or end them outright uh, by putting in uh, and installing an attorney general who's not going to, to prosecute these crimes and and end the special counsel investigation. The, the one exception is Georgia, because that's a state case and not a, a federal case. Um, but but still, I think that that's that's what Trump is hoping. OK, but so, what, so does that, what, what does that do for America's standing in the world? If you've got a president who managed to get himself into power to uh, to throw out cases that could have seen him in prison. I mean, yeah, that's, it's banana republic. Well, banana republic, absolutely, an outright abuse of power. I, I was talking to a colleague in South America a couple of nights ago, and we were saying, hang on, you know, it, it, has the world turned on its axis? You know, we used to think, you know, countries in South America would be doing this kind of thing, pardoning themselves, presidents in jail, presidents overthrown. I mean, this is this is mad stuff in the in the democracy that has held itself above all others, the, the shining city on a hill. It just it's weird, isn't it? 
Absolutely. And I think America's reputation abroad has certainly taken a hit, not just recently, but since Trump came into office. It's really removed this veneer that American democracy is somehow different or unique or immune to some of these problems. At the same time, I, I will say that a lot of democratic institutions and legal institutions have held throughout Donald Trump's presidency. For example, you know, his challenges to the legitimacy of the 2020 election. Uh, most of those challenges were heard in court. Uh, they were dismissed. And so it follow the process that we would expect. So I do think that there is some hyperbolizing and some catastrophizing about sort of the state of democracy teetering on the brink of collapse. I think that that's too strong. Um, but certainly the fact that we're in this situation um, uh, does not help America's reputation. Well, that. I mean, there may have been, there may have been those investigations, but people don't believe it clearly because there's so many people who still still think that it was uh, stolen from them. There's a report from the, uh, the Brookings Institute on whether democracy is failing. Let me read a paragraph from that. It says, based on six high-quality surveys conducted in the last year and a half, support for democracy as the best form of government remains overwhelmingly and mostly stable across party lines. However, about one in five Americans have views that make them at least open to, if not outright supportive of, authoritarianism. Basically, a dictatorship. I mean, yeah, one in five is not a small number, certainly. No. Um, I, at the same time, I do think that that number is based on data that I've seen fairly consistent, even in other countries throughout uh, Western Europe. There are lots of uh, citizens who think that their country would be in a better state if there was a strong leader who, who didn't have to bother uh, with elections. So that is a trend that is certainly increasing in the United States and it's increasing in other parts of the advanced industrialized world as well. Do you think that Donald Trump could get that percentage up? Certainly. If he tried hard enough? <laughs> I mean, the big question is whether there's a feeling to that. And I think that there is. Most Americans do converge around the idea that democracy is an unequivocal uh, good. Um, but there's certainly a lot of disillusionment and disenchantment with how democracy is working for uh, them. And so particularly if they see uh, a leader like Trump who kind of speaks their language and can resonate, uh, then their commitments to democracy become a lot more tenuous. Let, let, let's move the, move the scenario. We, we have sort of some with with potentially Donald Trump in jail moving towards the election. But OK, let's assume what you say, that maybe he can push all these cases into the, the, the long grass. So we come towards Election Day in November next year. We have Donald Trump, who perhaps has survived some cases, but has others hanging over him. And then we have Joe Biden, who perhaps is presiding over an economy that actually isn't looking quite as bad as people thought. Which way do you think it falls? Because you have perhaps some middle voters not aligned with either party looking potentially to the chaos, one assumes, of a new Trump administration, but also perhaps looking to Joe Biden as being too old to do the job. Which way do they fall? How does it work out? Well, I mean, I certainly don't want to take the easy way out and say it's just a coin flip 50-50. I will say that it's going to be close. And I think anyone who thinks that it's not going to be close, that Joe Biden is just going to run away with this, um, I think is fooling themselves. At the same time, I do think that Joe Biden has a slight advantage. And largely that's because of you know just the disapprovals of, of both candidates. The, the disapprovals for Donald Trump are higher than the disapprovals for uh, Joe Biden. Um, and so I think that there is a ceiling on Donald Trump's support, just like there's a floor 
of his support in terms of his base, but there's a ceiling of his base of support um, that makes it very difficult for him to, to crack. At the same time, again, I think the big X factor is whether a third party candidate gets into this race. There's been a lot of talk, for example, about this organization called No Labels, trying to put a moderate candidate uh, out into the field. I think a candidate like that, whether it's Joe Manchin, um, senator from West Virginia or, or someone else would probably be more likely to cannibalize the vote of Joe Biden. And so especially because the election is just going to be determined in you know, a handful of swing states, Ohio, Pennsylvania, uh, Florida, Michigan, sort of the, all the all the usual suspects, you know, just tipping 10,000 votes here or there could make a huge, huge difference. And I think that that's the most likely scenario where you know, Donald Trump does have a path to the White House. So you think actually it's more likely that he will win than that he won't? Well, I still th- I'm not sure if the third party will get um, in. I, I think that it's more likely that, that Joe Biden will win than Donald Trump if I had to put my money somewhere. But, you know, I'd be really reluctant because I do think it's going to be close. But I mean, it, with Joe Biden, I mean, he's getting on in years. I mean, voters will be looking and thinking, well, actually, we're, we're voting for the vice president rather than the president here, aren't we? Well, that's certainly the message that Republicans have been trying to hammer home that a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for Kamala Harris, you know, and they think that that's a a winning message. And it it may be, you know, there certainly are legitimate concerns, I think, about the the mental acuity of Joe Biden and whether, you know, now going into, you know, his his late 80s, if he finished the second term, if that's really who they who they want in the White House. Um, And, you know, Donald Trump is very effective at saying that Joe Biden is just kind of a, a Trojan horse for the far left. And if you thought the last four years were bad, the f- next four years are going to be even worse. He's just going to be a puppet for the, you know, the managerial class, the administrative state and, you know, progressives uh, on Capitol Hill who will take him either further to the further to the left. Is Biden definitely going to stick with Kamala Harris, do you think, as, as the vice president presidential ticket? I think he is because he basically has no choice uh, if he tried to pick an alternative uh, option that would, I think, look bad as though he's not confident in the vice president that he has been praising over the last four years. And also just reasons of identity politics. Uh, Kamala Harris is the first um, uh, minority woman to serve in that position. And I think if you uh, took her away, it would activate all sorts of elements within the, the Democratic Party um, that he just doesn't want to, to deal with. Yeah. Difficult to choose a middle-aged white man, isn't it, when you've taken supposedly so many steps forward. So what about then how far, if Donald Trump does win, let's just entertain that thought for the moment, because as you say, it's going to be very close. How far will he go? So we know, for example, and maybe a lot's been made out of this, but maybe it's not a big deal. He wants he's One thing he has said is he wants to, and it's one of those knee-jerk reactions he comes out with. It seems like policy on the fly, but a 10% tariff on all, all imports. If he returns into office... Um, can he do that? I mean, surely there's still the legislative process. So if he comes out with some ideas, and maybe there'll be even crazier ideas than this, I mean, just how much control does lie in the hands of the president? Well, I think much of it will depend on what Congress looks like. Uh, certainly, presidents have a lot more room to maneuver in terms of foreign policy than they do domestic policy. Um, if Republicans are able to, you know, 
get control of both houses of Congress, then that opens up a, a huge can of worms and all sorts of possibilities for him to ram through an, a, a, an aggressive right wing domestic agenda. Um, that could include, for example, more appointments of, of conservative judges, maybe even at the Supreme Court, depending on uh, whether an opening occurs there. You know, but in terms of foreign policy, uh, trade policy, uh, et cetera, Donald Trump does have a lot of uh, latitude to move. We saw that with China, for example, where he was just very impulsive um, in terms of slapping uh, tariffs on Beijing. Um, many of those Joe Biden has uh, maintained. Um, but yeah, it's it's sort of uh, no limits in a second term with Donald Trump. And, and is America shifting to the right with him? No, I think that America still remains a fairly center right uh, country. I'm not sure if I would say the entire uh, the United States is kind of moving toward the right with him. I do think that there is a fraction, though, of the Republican Party that has radicalized even beyond Donald Trump. And, and we've seen some um, evidence uh, of where they think that Donald Trump doesn't actually go far enough. For example, on, on vaccine skepticism amid COVID-19, Donald Trump did to his credit, despite pillorying masks and so on, um, make some advancements in terms of uh, the, the the vaccine, and he really touted it. Uh, he, he talked about that at one of his rallies, and he got booed <laughs> for it because the party didn't want to didn't want to hear it. And so, I do think that you know there are lots of Republicans that have been so emboldened by the language of Trump, they think we can go even further than he's been willing to go and that's that's even scarier that's where well let's 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 flip this again though because you said you think on balance you know and you wouldn't want to be put money on it but biden will in the end win what happens then because are we in a situation if it's close if it's as you say and you have trump who potentially facing more legal issues with a huge band of supporters who don't trust the legal the electoral system anyway what happens do they do they take up arms? I and mean, we saw what could happen, of course, with the Capitol riots. We've seen that violence is potential. A lot of these people are quite heavily armed. I mean, what's that scenario going to look like? Well, I mean, it certainly um, is a good reason to have vigilance uh, more so than last time about what the, what the possibilities could actually look like and certainly wouldn't want to rule out um, more political violence, um, something akin to what we saw on, on January 6th. Of course, a lot of it does depend on what Donald Trump does, but you know, it's hard to imagine a scenario in which the election isn't so close that he's making claims about it being uh, stolen again. And so we really could be setting ourselves up for essentially a redux of 2020 um, challenges in the court. You know, both parties are going to be armed with lawyers uh, ready for these Ready, ready for these court cases, and then how that plays out in the broader electorate. Um, yeah, it's um, it's something to be worried about. So, I mean, it is democracy failing, isn't it? You know, I still don't. I, I still personally would not go that far. I know that there are, are a lot of experts that really do think that American democracy is just teetering on the the brink of collapse. I, I still think that the encouraging part about twenty twenty, despite a lot of dispiriting elements of it, was that these institutions. Held, you know, Donald Trump is not in the White House. He did lose. There was a transition of, of power, um, and all of these cases got dealt with and discarded in the courts. Um, so I think that that is, you know, a point for uh, American democracy. And I think that these, right, but it didn't happen. You couldn't use the word seamlessly, though, could you? You didn't have that seamless transition. Of yeah, power. I, I, I mean, wouldn't use the was... term seamless, and I wouldn't use the the term peaceful either, because it's what we saw on January six. So it's a test. It's a strain to American democracy. Absolutely. No doubt. But I think that that's different than saying the entire 
a project is vulnerable. Well, Thomas, as we come towards the end of this discussion, and it could go on for a very long time because there's so many aspects of it, I've noticed throughout our discussion you're you're more optimistic in some ways, at least about the institutions of your country. But are you not worried? Are you not surprised and fearful about what could happen, given what we've seen has happened in the last four to five years, and particularly in the last couple of years? And let me let me throw another adjective in there as well. You seem very calm, but are you angry mm. about it all? Because, I mean, a lot of Americans are angry one way or the other. Yeah, I think it's hard to see what Donald Trump has done to the fabric of American politics and not feel some anger, but also some sadness about it. You know, just looking at uh, January 6th, that was a, a somber day, you know, and it was a sobering reality that lots of the elements of American democracy that we really have taken for granted, uh, we, we shouldn't uh, be able to. Again, though, I, I am... At the end of the day, fairly sanguine uh, about sort of the, the structures um, and the institutions that underpin uh, American government because uh, they have held. But just because they've held in the past doesn't necessarily mean that they will hold in the future. And so that's, again, cause for for, for vigilance and to to you know shore up uh, some of the, the failings and the, and the weaknesses and. Um, the fragilities of, of, of American democracy. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, whether this is all, you know, sufficient uh, to deal with another, um, you know, attack on these basic institutions of, of power, that, that's unclear to me, but I, I'm still hopeful. So it seems like you're saying Biden wins, quite a bit of civil unrest as a, as a result of that. Uh, Donald Trump goes to prison, a bit more civil unrest. But somehow it all you you get over it and life eventually returns to normal. Yeah, I, again, I'm really hesitant to make too many <laughs> predictions just because I've been wrong so many times in the past. You know, I, I do think though at this point you would have to say the odds are that Joe Biden will be president um, after 2024. What happens with Donald Trump, I think, is a little bit more difficult uh, to say. I just think how this plays out in, in, in terms of the legal components of it is uh, is very much up in the air. I have to say, I'm surprised by by what I detect to be your optimism, but uh, but it gives some hope. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for giving us a, a view of what could happen in the next 18 months. And perhaps we'll come back to you in 18 months and find out if, uh, if you're if your hunch was right. Good to talk, Thomas. I really enjoyed talking with you, so thanks so much. Thanks, Thomas. Well, I hope he's right, but I think it's mm. going to be a bun fight. I, I, well, I think well, that's a bun fight. I think it'd be a major crisis. I, I, I have yeah. to say, I'm, I've got many American friends, and most of them are pretty gloomy about what's going to happen. Uh, and I have to say, mm. I share that gloom. Not that I know that as much about it, but it certainly doesn't look good. Um, but right. yeah, fascinating. Let's look, at, so let's look at another crisis, although, you know, uh, perhaps on a different scale. But have you got any well, old uh, artifacts from the British Museum well, uh, in your living room? No, no, not that I, I was checking, because after all, several have gone missing. But no, I mean, we were talking about, uh, you know, uh, ancient artifacts, perhaps in the US politics area. But there are certainly some ancient, even more ancient than Trump and Biden uh, in the museums here and around the world. And of course, the problem is not only that some of them may have gone missing, but should they have been there in the first place? Uh, yeah. Because uh, the Chinese and, and the Greeks are now saying to the British Museum, well, hang on, if you can't look after the things that you nicked, uh, you should give them back. But perhaps they should well, give them back anyway. That's been the only argument we've had for having a lot of these artifacts, isn't it? That they are in, in safe hands 
fans and their own public view. Yeah. Now, if they are not in public view and they're in someone's uh, dusty basement yeah. uh, being sold on eBay, uh, then that argument disappears, doesn't it? Yeah, and should should we have these things in the first place? But then you, once you open that argument up, and this is always what the British Museum and other museums have said, hang on, do we just denude all our museums of anything that can't absolutely be said to have come from these shores? Mm. Or is there an argument that some things uh, should uh, stay? I mean, the Mona Lisa wasn't yeah. painted uh, in France, but it's in the uh, in the museum in, in Paris. Yeah. There are lots of things where you think it would be very strange if everything had to go back, if we had a general rule that you simply cannot have things that haven't been made or originated in the country in which they're in. That's a big debate at the moment. Mm. All right, well, we'll look at that in full uh, next week on The Why Care, brought to you by Wigmore Associates. Thanks for listening today, and we'll catch you next week. The Why Curve.